Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've been waiting for, a podcast for podcasters. This is Creating the Greatest Show, and I'm your host, Casey Cheshire. Join me as we interview podcast hosts and investigate the ingredients of a successful interview podcast. We'll talk mistakes, earned skills, powerful questions, and more. This show is sponsored by Ringmaster, completely done for you, B2B podcast production. There it is. Okay, let's do this thing. I'm excited. I can't wait to introduce you to the guest today. He is an absolute badass. He is a seasoned sales and marketing leader, thought leader, coach, consultant. And right now, he is hyper-focused on partnerships. I love partnerships. And partnerships specifically in the podcast community. And he is obsessed with guests, audience, promotion, reach, all the things. We're going to just dive in. We're going to crack open his brain and learn more about all these things he's, he's talking about and all these people he's talking to. Previously the host of the Norton Norris podcast and most recently an internal pod that you and I are not privy to because it's an internal pod, but he is podcasting and he's the head of podcast publisher partnerships at Podchaser. Trent Anderson, welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, cracking open the brain. You know, no promises yes. here. We might uncover some stuff that uh, no one wanted to know, but I'm willing to go down that journey with you all. Hell yeah. You know, just like straight out of a Indiana Jones movie, right? We're going to eat some monkey brains right now. <laughs> so let's do this thing. Here's my question for you to start this adventure off. Pull back the curtain for us, Trent, on all of your experience in the podcast world and share your most important strategy for a great podcast. Yeah, everyone focuses on reach. And I think that's a bit short-sighted. So what we've really developed over the last six to, to 12 months with what we do in our business is developing a better framework for understanding impact of podcasts. And we really break it into four stages, content, context, audience, and reach. Reach is still important as we indicate with our four step, but it's the four step for a reason. So instead, we look at content um, from a guesting perspective. We're looking to find shows that are talking about topics that our guests can weigh in on expertly. Context, we're looking to unpack what kind of perspective those shows have on said content. And this might seem obvious, but very few uh, agencies in this space actually go that extra distance to understand who the host is, what are their alignments, how does that correlate with the guests, opportunities, and expertise. So it's a, it's a really big part of this process as well. The third part of it is audience. So Really, podcasts are all about audience, and despite uh, some of us who've maybe hosted shows before, typically ego-driven, I, at least I can speak for myself, you want to be the host, you want to be the, the main character of the show, but really, the main characters are your audience members. So with Podchaser Pro, which is, of course, our database, we're able to extrapolate audience insights and audience demographics that are really aligned with our guest clients. Uh, needs, wants, target customers, et cetera. And then finally, if content, context, and audience are met and qualified, then we look at reach. And we like to describe reach as a spectrum. And this is so different than what most PR folk have been accustomed to in traditional media, whether that's digital publications or TV or radio or what have you. The podcast industry is vastly different. And if I describe it as a spectrum on one side, you typically have highly technical, highly clinical types of audiences or types of shows. And those shows might only have a couple thousand listeners per month, maybe a couple hundred. 
But if they go extremely deep on technical and clinical types of details, you're going to have this groundswell of community where it's like true expertise going back and forth. And we work with a gentleman who's a triple board certified physician and he's a podcast host. And the only people that listen to his show, all 500, 500 of them are fellow double and triple board certified physicians. So with our smart pharmaceutical clients, med device clients, if they want to tap in the healthcare provider market, there's literally no better show. There's no better qualification, no better expertise than this individual show. The other side of the spectrum, you've got your mass media, your kind of pop culture types of shows. These are sometimes hosted by former contestants on reality television shows that also have day hey, jobs hey. that they're starting to monetize through their content. And then, of course, you have shows in the middle that might have some of that technical depth and expertise, but they also have some broad-based appeal because they make great content. So, again, gotcha. content, context, audience, and reach is really how we view almost everything now in the podcast landscape through the lens of Podchaser Connect. I love that. It's like uh, you've got these four colored framed glasses where everything you're able to see fits as you walk around the pod world, you, these things fit into these elements. Man, there's so much to unpack here. I can't wait to dive into it. But I love that there's an order to the chaos because otherwise even my follow-up questions are going to be all over the place because there's so many interesting things you just said in like a two-second period. So um, let's go Let's go up to you know up or back to, to even what this defines. And I, and I heard you say impact. So is is this the the lens for creating or driving impact or or kind of help me understand that yeah so i'll approach it from the lens of what i do on a day-to-day -day basis so podchaser connect yeah. is our guest booking and audience development agency that sits on top of podchaser pro um, we're an analytics tool tool and data company first and foremost and we spun up the agency because we had a bunch of our pro customers saying i don't really know how to do this podcast pitching thing like we have really interesting thought leadership. We want to go go out there. We want to take advantage of the space. Like we don't really know where to start. So the four-step process was really in response to what our customers were telling us. So uh... from, from that lens, the first thing that most of our customers, which are huge PR agencies that sit on Madison Avenue all the way down to like mom and pop shops that are now exploring podcasting for the first time, they always want to start with reach. Can you get me on the Joe Rogan show? Can you get me on the daily? Can you get me on NPR? I'm like, yeah. what's your answer when people ask you that? Yeah, to this is exactly what I say. I say, totally. We'd love to get you there. It's an awesome aspirational journey that we're going to take you on. Just so you know, that's not exactly how those shows type, those types of shows operate. They typically have a full fledged media team behind them and there has to be some seminal interest from the host and they go out and find you. If you're that interesting, they're going to find you. And truth be told, not all of our guests are all that interesting until we run them through some of our internal training processes that gets them prepared to be the best guest they could possibly be on a show. So yeah, that's the lens that we'll observe almost all of this through, but the content okay. context audience and reach that 100% applies to own shows. It applies to other types of media, whether it's newsletters or your YouTube channel or like literally anything. If you're not stack ranking those types of uh, considerations, then it just feels like you're this amorphous blob that's trying to figure it out. And, yeah, we're doing content, but like, who are we doing it for? Why are we doing it for them? All those sorts of things. So it's just been a really uh, useful tool for us to organize the chaos, like you said, Casey. Yeah. 
If you had unlimited time and unlimited funds, what would you do to get on the Joe Rogan podcast? Ooh, I would definitely play to things that he's interested in, which would be uh, comedy, certainly. So I'd have to have like some banger stand-up jokes, I think. And <laughs> that would be first and foremost. I'd probably do some jokes about like MMA, which of course he's intimately involved with as well. Um, and I'd just do something really kind of cool and off the wall and support it with data and like run like a crazy experiment probably to try to get some sort of attention. Um, so yeah, so you, you got to become a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt. That's right. right. Yeah. You got to, you have to do at least a year of stand up comedy. Mm -hmm. Uh, even if you bomb, that's okay. That's right. You have to, um, what else? Like fanny packs. Yeah, fanny packs. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe buy a bunch of Onnit products, start slugging athletic greens every day, you know, all that, all that good stuff. Yeah. You have to do some ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. Right? Yeah. The sleep, the deprivation chamber, 100%. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You got a float, float tank. Float tank. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, weave it and all. Then do something the, famous, right? <laughs> do something totally epic and famous that uh, cannot be reproduced. So, like, yeah, I don't know. It'd be it'd be a pretty interesting uh, journey to get there. Although that's not what I aspire to do. He can he can go out and get his own guests. So, right. And I think, and, and I'm glad you walked through all that with me because that illustrates your 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 last point here, which is. I mean, that's not really the goal here for what you're doing, what I'm doing. Uh, that shouldn't really be the goal. If it is, you can make it a life purpose and then maybe it still won't happen. All these crazy things we're saying is kind of it. So instead, what should be the goal? To me, it comes down to you become interesting by being interested in something and that has to kind of be your driving force and you might call that curiosity. And I think if I were to summarize Rogan in one word, it'd probably be curious. And I think that's what has led to so much of his success. And people look at him and say like, well, he thinks he's an expert in this and he thinks he's an expert in that. I think he's just insanely curious about topics and he feeds that curiosity by going out and trying to find answers to the questions that he has that he can't find anywhere else. So yeah, that is a probably good guiding principle, whether you love Rogan or hate Rogan. I think we could all stand to be a little bit more curious and through our curiosity and teaching what we've learned from our, our curiosities, that's when we become interesting and that's when we start to attract opportunities and uh, get luckier by way of, of uh, these types of mindsets. And even that's where, and we'll talk more about it too, but that's where pod chase and other things can really come into play. So if you had one, if you had one takeaway on, on content, or one like must do to really make sure there's a check in that box, what would it be? From an owned show perspective, I, I think it's really important to survey the scene and, and say like, hey, I want to talk about X topic. And let's see what shows A, B, C, and D are discussing in terms of that topic. Because typically, the market is looking for something that doesn't quite exist yet. And I think the way that um, Nicholas Cole and, and Dickie Bush frame up their four A's uh, perspective, which I'm going to butcher and we should probably link in the show notes, but they talk about <laughs> there's a bunch of shows, uh, there's a bunch of books that are about personal finance, right? And some of them are analytical. Some of them are 
uh, anthropological. Some of them are actionable and some of them are the fourth A is escaping me. But effectively, you've got like rich dad, poor dad. You've got Napoleon Hill. I will teach you how to be rich. Like those are all talking about the same topic of personal finance, but they're approaching it from four different angles or different lenses in and of itself. So you might sit there and say, I want to talk about B2B marketing. Awesome. There's a million shows, not literally, but there's there's hundreds and hundreds of shows that are about B2B marketing. Are they all approaching it from a purely uh, analytical angle, whereas you could go step in there and do it from um, an actionable angle. So like, great, we can talk about theory, we can talk about trends, we can talk about all that. But if the audience isn't able to walk away, being able to put into place like one thing that they learned from that show, that might be a great opportunity for you to create content that's specifically serving the how-to um, uh, actionable type of uh, content from B2B marketing perspective. So I think that's that's the first and foremost thing when it comes to content. Understand what you're going to talk about, but also the kind of perspective you're going to have on it and what you want to leave the audience with. Man, that's powerful. Uh, and let's get super meta on that right now. So if this podcast episode we're, we're recording right now had one takeaway for you listening to this right now, it might be make sure your podcast has one takeaway for your listeners that they can walk away with and highlight it however you can with silly music or being an idiot like me. But either way, have some kind of takeaway so that it's not just like, hey, I read that or I, I heard, listened to that and I don't really remember. Have you have you heard of that book, uh, Never Split the Difference? Yeah, by Chris Voss, sure. Yeah, love that book. Have you read it or heard of I, it? Or I've heard of it? watched about a third of his Masterclass uh, nice. series on it. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Nice. So the reason I bring it up is I love the book. There's great stories, but I couldn't tell you what I learned from that on how to negotiate. It was almost just like a, a brag piece and nothing on him. I'm sure he was teaching things and I'm just an idiot, but I didn't, I didn't have that one takeaway from the book. So everyone I talked to was like, well, what did you learn? You know, no, don't split the difference. Yeah, it's the title, but like, and why, you know, and, and, and so anyways, it's one of those things where I can see a podcast you just listen to like a Joe or anyone else. I just spent an hour. That was a cool podcast. What did you get from that? Maybe it's not, you're not trying to get anything from it, but if you are, man, you better have something you can talk about. Jeez. Definitely. Well, I, I do know with Voss, it was one of the things I took away was mirroring. So when you said you didn't walk mm -hmm. away with anything, what I would say back is didn't walk away with anything. And then I would let you talk about all of all the ways that you didn't walk away with something. And that's one of his kind of uh, uh, lightning strike teachings throughout all of that. But yeah, it's great. See, book. I need you as like a book overlay. Okay, <laughs> what, what are we reading next, Trent? What do you think? Gosh, What's next I, on your list? I haven't cracked open <laughs> a physical book in quite some time. I'm actually so my wife and I got really into Homeland like 10 years after the fact. So I've been reading a bunch of CIA related books, um, some of it being declassified information, all with the intent to understand how human-to-human -human interaction works better. And CIA might be a little bit more exploitative in, in uh, their techniques than you or I might be as podcast goof-offs. But um, wow. it's really interesting and in getting some, some keen insights into how to change behavior and ultimately get behavior that you want out of your subject. Man, those books can just suck you in. I just recently finished The Gray Man. Have you read that one? I haven't. Highly recommend it. Don't watch the Netflix special, though. It's absolute garbage. 
but the book is intense. It's amazing. It's a whole series apparently. And I just stumbled upon it. Um, fantastic. So let me, let us take, take us back a little bit. There's a, a couple things here. Uh, how important is a different angle, right? There's this sort of balance of artistry where you just do the thing you love. And there's that premeditated, researched, highly thought out, intentional, let me make the show like this because I'll get them more likes or I'll get the attention or I'll differentiate myself from rich dad, poor dad. Yeah, I think the the POV or um, point of view, which you can also call perspective, is really the biggest driver of success because uh, most people will just jump into a conversation or to a podcast and they speak at a, at a level that's very general and it's very surface level and you just end up sounding like everybody else. So what we really like to impart with some of our clients we work with is like, what is your perspective? What is your POV? How, how has the world changed and what is your response to that change and how are you uniquely able to fit into this new world? And a lot of that we borrow from Andy Raskin with his strategic narrative framework that he uses, uh, which he very famously put through um, Zuora's lens, which was like the old world versus the new world. The old world was completely transactional in that, you know, you were a, a buyer, you wanted to buy something and it was, you had to buy it annually, whatever. And then the new world was the subscription boom that took over. And now when I look at my mm. bank account, yeah, I've got 15 different streaming service providers that are all right. bundled through a streaming thing, uh, through a, a subscription model. So in Raskin's work with that, said the world's moving towards subscriptions and winners right now in the space are able to give a consumer first uh, perspective through through it all. And when you think about the, the consumerization of literally everything and how Amazon has effectively changed the game, Netflix, what have you, here's 100% right. Even down to paying for professional uh, tools, like everything subscription-based model, as opposed to buying $100,000 worth of software that's paid out quarterly, like, no, it's a monthly recurring model now because that's how SaaS operates. So that's a perspective that Zuora had that Andy Raskin called out, and it was really the driving force that created a whole new category, and that was subscription management for large enterprise types of deals, and that didn't that didn't exist before. So part of yeah. developing a POV is separating yourself from the noise and differentiating yourself. And what prevents most people from moving forward with effectively putting their flag in the ground and saying like, "This is what I believe," they're afraid to alienate the total addressable market. But mm -hmm. in reality. You shouldn't be selling to the total addressable market because chances are you're not going to be a fit for everyone. Like, yeah, we've got all these all-in-one tools, all-in-one platforms. That's actually not beneficial to an organization, to a podcast, to another piece of media. Like, you want to actively attract and repel people who don't buy into your POV. And it's a scary thought for a lot of entrepreneurs and, and small business owners because, well, we'd be removing like 40% of our market. Yeah, that's a good thing because chances are they weren't going to buy from you anyway. So at least if you have a perspective that they can see themselves in, you're going to you're gonna end up having like fans for life. And that's really the, the yeah. end goal. Dude, this is why exactly what I was hoping would happen. That intersection that your background in sales and marketing, the idea of, I mean, I've, I've been afraid to alienate the total addressable market all the time. Yeah. But it's be, but I shouldn't be trying to sell to your exact oh man. Great point. We shouldn't be trying to either sell to or market to or get our podcast listened to everyone. 
Even Rogan's not trying to do that, right? He's not trying to get everyone to listen. He doesn't care if the total market listens to him. And half of the reason why people do listen to him is because they know he doesn't care. You know, Correct. Spotify telling me to do this, other people tell me to do that, doesn't care. Gonna do me, right? Yep. Gonna have a point of view. Now, quick question. The point of view, is that the host, the guest, or both? Both, both, 100% both. both. Yeah, so if you are hosting a show, it's gotta be um, part of, if you're doing a branded show, let's just say, like it's it's your flagship media arm for your B2B SaaS company, that is the place where you can unpack your point of view so much more intimately than through the messaging on a sales deck, through the copy on your homepage of your website. That is really where you are, again, planting your flag saying, this is what I believe and this is how I'm going to extract the lessons learned of how I even got to this POV. So like, yeah, before we were trying to sell everything to everyone. And guess what? That happened. It was uh, a ton of turnover, both employee side and customer side, because no one really knew why they were there. It was a cool tool and they bought it, but then what? Um, so again, that POV is just that constant reminder through the podcast format of why you exist and why people chose you to begin with and what your extended brand promise is moving forward. So I think from a host perspective, again, nailing that is going to attract the right types of people and repel the wrong type of people. From a guest yeah. perspective, it's very similar. It's, um, well, it's hold easy. on real quick before yeah. we get to the guest. Yeah. Um, uh, how as a host, do you interject your ass in there, uh, get your point of view across without to our earlier convo, making the show all about me. Trent's here, but he's really just yeah. here to see how cool Casey is. So how do I avoid that? Gosh, you got to ask good questions. You got to come prepared. And I think that's one of the the things that, again, just to flip to the guesting side, most guests don't understand yeah. how much work goes into the prep process, right? So you can tell, like I've been a guest on certain shows where the person literally has no idea what I do. They've never done the diligence. They've never actually gone and seen that I've hosted a, a podcast before a couple, couple moons ago, as you did uh, when I was with Norton Norris. And found that on Podchaser, by the way. Of course. There you go. <laughs> Subtle plug. Um, but it really comes, yeah, it comes down to prep. And yeah, if you have to like constantly search for ways to prep, it gets exhausting. I think that's why pod fade exists because like you have to recreate the same creative process over and over and over again. And the thing about creative processes is like they're very seldom linear. Like it's usually all up and down. But if you have your anchor, your flag, as I described it earlier, of your POV, you can enter into a conversation with the guest and say like, hey, I saw you posted this on LinkedIn or Twitter the other day. I've had the exact opposite experience. Tell me about why or how you got to that perspective. And I'll tell you about how I did from my perspective. And then it lends itself to like actual conversation, which is really great. And sometimes that includes, um, you know, stepping on a guest's shoes without making the, you know, making them too dirty. But it also unpacks like just much more authenticity in conversations. And really that's like the true benefit of podcasts, in my opinion. It's one of the last places where real conversations can play out because you certainly don't get that in 280 characters on Twitter or LinkedIn comments or whatever. It, it allows right. people to um, really understand the person behind the persona, which is typically what we're projecting online. It's so, it's so powerful that we bring that up. 
I've often struggled with that. Sometimes I, I like to investigate and I'm so curious that I'll just ask you questions for days and I have to remind myself to, to share that point of view that I have, yeah. you know, and sometimes it's easy if, if you completely disagree with a guest, you're like, well, I actually think differently. Let's discuss it. But if they're just on fire, like you're on fire right now. So I just want to <laughs> learn more from you, but it'd be good to throw up my experience as well. And that way we have that more of a dialogue and less of an interview. Sure. Yeah, that's huge. And I think you can start to make some assumptions about certain POVs as well. So like, I'll, I'll do this with you right now. Like you yeah. intentionally named the show as you did. You intentionally named the company as you did. So like Ringmaster, I think fun, excitement, element of surprise, element of danger. Is that the kind of perspective you wanted to bring forward when it comes to what can be kind of lack of a better term, boring B2B content? Like what, what drove some of your perspectives on why naming it Ringmasters? And you're hired. So <laughs> listen up, Pod Chaser. You got to treat this guy right. We're already in the market. They treat you well? Oh, yeah. It's great. Great company. Couldn't... Okay, good. Because that was, that was well said. Yeah. It's like there's so much of that just ugh, content that I mean, now you can just have chat GPT build it. Either way, it's still just like it's like so boring, you know, and not helpful. And sometimes the title's great. You know, I once got tricked into a you know, filling out a form. It was like, oh, the latest in marketing and AI and marketing automation. I was like, oh, that sounds great. Let's do it. And then the PDF looked pretty, but it was absolute rubbish. Said nothing in there. I felt so tricked. And, and I told that company like, never call me again. And <laughs> I unsubscribed. So there's just so much of that out there. I wanted to shake it up that. And I saw the greatest showman and I thought, let's do this. There you go. Can you sing? Yeah. You know, I was discussing this with someone today. There are people on this planet who think they can sing that can't <laughs> and probably should get some lessons. And there are some people that really can. And I would put myself in like the humble low middle, you know? Yeah. Okay. Like in the car, I can sing The Greatest Showman. There you go. Does that stand up? You know, karaoke, right? The slower the song, the better you need to sing. Yeah. Right. Singing REM is not a thing. <laughs> at karaoke. <laughs> Sing something fast. Pull out some Garth Brooks. Do you have a go-to song? A go-to song? No, but uh, the team like makes. If I put you on the spot right now, you have to karaoke. What would you sing? I really only listen to podcasts that are put to music, and the team makes fun of me so much for it. Um, so there, there's Jocko Willink, who you know some of you might know. David Goggins, yeah. like very motivational types of people. And they've done a bunch of podcast interviews, some of them on Rogan or whatever. There's an artist named Akira the Don, and he's taken some of the strongest messaging from those guest interviews and he puts them to like electronic music. So I listen to it when Hell I yeah. work out and when I run. And over time, like I hear their voices in my head. So like my personal trainers are David Goggins and Jocko Willing because they're screaming in my head and it's to, BPMs that are like 140, 150, 170. <laughs> and it's, uh, it just keeps going. So yeah, those are the types of songs. Like I, I hear David Goggins in my head all the time saying, just do the math, man. Um, so that's, that's anyone that doesn't know Goggins needs to check him out, get his book. You can't hurt me. That's one I'm working on right now. He's got another one out too. Yeah. Brilliant. So I love those, man. Sometimes you see those on like Facebook or YouTube shorts where you've just got, you know, the running and, you know, Goggins is famously, he'll do like a little live. He'll just be running. He's yeah. like a mile 50 out of a hundred. And he's just telling you to 
stop crying about your your wounds <laughs> it, it's true man like we live in like the easiest era of of all human humankind and uh, sometimes it's important to remind ourselves of that like you know what were my great great grandparents doing at this point in their lives and you know they had six yeah. kids and they're working three jobs and like life was just really hard they didn't have a side hustle they didn't have the ability to buy a 300 dollars microphone off of amazon to get it delivered the same day like they were doing really hard stuff. So in that context, yeah. you're like, man, what am I complaining about? I get to talk on a on an iPhone that's mounted and I got my mic. Like so anyway, I like to keep that perspective too. Brilliant, man. And you even brought up context just now, right? Which again, I see that lens that you're talking through. We've talked content, uh, context. Really, all these things are infused into our our, our conversation. How how much how much do you deliberately seek out to isolate an audience? Again, back to that question of like chicken or the egg, the craft, the art, and then whoever wants to watch it, great. Or specifically go after this audience because I know they're missing this thing. Where do you, where do you advise on that? One of the most important things to do, and I think in a lot of ways, okay. marketers over the last 10 years have really become technologists instead of marketers. And what do I mean by that? If you think back to like Don Draper era, Mad Men era, like old school Madison Avenue types of uh, agencies, how did they develop any sort of insight that led to large multinational campaigns? They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Google. They didn't have podcasts. So like, what did they do? How did they understand what kind of messaging to use? What kind of ad creative, whatever? Yeah. Turns out they talked to customers. And they went through like rigorous market <laughs> research, all with the intent to figure out why humans were doing the things that they were doing. And now with the click of a couple buttons on Facebook, you can deploy, you know, $10,000 ad spend a day if you want to with yeah. Google ads, same thing. And you start looking at, okay, how do we optimize for our, our ROAS? Well, we want to decrease cost per click. So we're going to run this against, uh, you know, an audience that we bought a bunch of emails off of a list. We're going to upload that as a custom audience. Well, is that marketing or is that just leveraging tech tools? In my opinion, it's tech tools. So before I advise anybody on anything podcast, whether it's starting your own, starting a branded show, or even going out and doing guest appearances, is understand something, literally anything about your audience. Like what do they listen to podcasts? When do they listen to podcasts? What kind of mood do they have to be in to listen to podcasts? And I think one of the things that um, was a, a lightning strike in my brain was people listen to podcasts because they're trying to acquire a great amount of information in a very condensed amount of time. And if you can deliver on that as a show, whether it's you know your own podcast or a branded show, whatever, people will come back because you're going to get them further along than the time that it would take for them to sit down and read David Goggins' book, right? Um, they're not going to have to thumb through 500 pages to get to maybe two or three key points to your point about Chris Voss earlier. Um, the podcast, if it can deliver on kind of core message, that great learning in a short amount of time, that is what the ultimate goal is, in my opinion, as a consumer of a lot of shows, right? So again, that starts by asking customers. That starts by asking people who you think should be listening to your show. What other shows are they listening to? What do they love about them? What do they hate about them? What do they wish they would cover more in depth? 
again, whether that's more takeaways, whether that's more frameworks, whether that's advice or like support and community. And that's another huge thing that we're starting to see more and more of is like these massive communities that are being built around media properties, podcasts, YouTube, or, or otherwise. And I look at a, at a company like Barstool and how well they've been able to tap in to that. It's not like they were sitting around saying like, hey, what do 18 to 24 year olds like to talk about? Well, it's pretty much sports and beer and girls and that sort of thing. They leaned into it, but the way that they were able to involve listeners into their content development, um, you know, whether as uh, award-winning listeners as Pardon My Take uses and like having a, an award show that's all about the award-winning listeners. These are the types of insights that you only get by sitting as close to your audience, as close to your customers as possible, and then developing content around that. So mm. that's the that's the winding path to the answer. Sit as close to your customer as you can and then develop content. Love that. Love that. Dude, my favorite kind of day is when I when I can talk marketing, sales, and podcasting in the same sentences back to back. Man, brilliant. Uh let's talk about Podchaser a little bit here. Like like give us the rundown. What is Pod I know you've got like a million features now, but yeah. like at its core, what is Podchaser? And then I know you're in the partnership world, so talk more about what kind of partners you're looking for. Definitely. So Podchaser started because our co-founders recognized that there was no aggregator that existed to take all of these disparate pieces of information and, and glue them all together. So we like to describe the podcast industry as being highly frag fragmented with a relatively low net promoter score. Highly fragmented, meaning you've got kind of four key players, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and then Google slash YouTube. Clearly, YouTube is making a run at this industry as well, so we can talk more about that later. But yeah. each and every one of them are trying to create their own walled gardens, whether that's through content or whether that's through um, tech and tools. And the media business, as we understand it, there's really only a few ways to make money from it. One is through advertising, right? So how do you get as many ad dollars through your properties as possible? Two, is, two, two would be through subscriptions. And... We know podcast ads are a huge business, but podcast subscriptions really haven't full-fledged gotten adopted by the public at large quite yet. We've seen some very recent stories from a company like Wondery where they're starting to make seismic shifts about their business model, but it was really intended to be a premium subscription-based model for, for podcasts. And it turned out, well, we might have been oversubscribed <laughs> to all other types of content media and just the value that you get exchanged from an HBO Max versus six different podcasts that you may like two or three of them, but you're paying for all six of them. It just just wasn't really working out. So the third way that media companies make money would be through like merchandise and and product. And again, talking about Barstool, I heard a recent stat that's like something like forty percent of their revenue now comes from the merchandise that they sell. That's all tied back to the content they develop. So Jeez. if you've got ads, if you've got um, subscriptions and you've got merchandise, well, that's why there's been this this arms race effectively from the big four in the podcast industry to gobble up as much content and gobble up as many tech tools as possible because they want, they have a, literally they have an initiative to do right by their shareholders by increasing uh, shareholder value, right? So right. as a result of that, that's created like kind of foreclosed ecosystems. And this is where I land the plane with what Podchaser does. We aggregate data across not just 
like one or two different places. We aggregate data across like the entire podcast ecosystem. So we have data partnerships with hosting providers, with uh, publishers, and definitely with podcast player apps. And it's all with the intent to keep everything open for everyone, because that's ultimately the only way that the industry continues to grow. If everyone right. kind of retracts into their respective corners of the podcast landscape, it doesn't benefit independent shows, which drive so much of the uh, kind of like the heart of the podcast landscape and certainly the long tail right. of the podcast landscape. If everything is just going to the top 10% of shows, which typically are associated in some way or shape or form with the top four providers, then it doesn't become the open ecosystem that we were promised when it came to podcasts. So yeah. effectively in unveiling the data aggregation across all of these, it first attracted, um, you know, podcast listeners to find their next favorite show. And that was really the true intent of sure. Podchaser day one. And then as we started adding contact information, then it was became very interesting for PR agencies that had been using tools like Cision and Muckrack and Meltwater, they, where they had these, these press databases, so to speak. And that's how mm. they were getting in contact with the earned for earned media opportunities. More recently, we unveiled um, sponsorship data and showing who's sponsoring which podcasts, what the estimated spend is for those shows. So now we're tapping into the ad buying market and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but there's really like six holding companies that control basically all the advertising purse strings for every company in the world, especially Fortune 500 and up. And one of the reasons why they haven't been able to purchase podcast ads and why it's not a $10 billion industry yet, because it's all fragmented. It's like literally everywhere. Um, if you want to get data for one show, you have to go to iHeart. And then if you want data for a different yeah. show that looks like it, you have to go to Odyssey. And then... Lo and behold, Odyssey changes hands, it gets gobbled up by a private equity firm, and then you got to start back at square one. So again, the, in the intent here was to democratize data for everybody, because we think that's the way that you build a sustainable long-term uh, medium. And, and that's what, we, what we've done at, at Podchaser. So then talk to me about like if someone listening to this, uh, who would be the right people to reach out to you about partnerships? Yeah. So I work pretty exclusively with podcast networks and podcast publishers. So this is going to be your like tier four to tier one types of uh, networks. So think about, yeah, your bar stools, think about um, uh, Lemonada Media, think about Revolver podcast, which is specifically for Spanish speaking shows. These are all entities that have a vested interest in making sure that their shows grow, that they're tapping to the right audiences, and in some cases, even acquiring shows that they think could be a mm. good fit for their networks. So I work a lot with those types of big networks, especially when it comes to um, the guest placement side of it. So I head up Podchaser Connect, which is our agency that sits on top of Pro. And one of the ways that we interface with our networks is building out these talent pipelines in conjunction with our networks. So I can say, hey, I'm, I'm representing this university professor who has done some of the most groundbreaking research into the, the gut health space and previously led the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates uh, gut microbiome $40 million uh, global project with that. It looks like based on your six shows you have in the health and wellness category, you know, four of them have discussed uh, gut health, but they've all done it from a probiotics perspective as opposed to prebiotics perspective. 
my guests can help unpack some of the reasons why prebiotics are actually the first step in maintaining gut health. And oh, by the way, there's this brain brain gut connection and, and all these fun little mm-hmm. anecdotes and tips. So that's been such a game changer for us and for our clients because it's gaining us access into much larger opportunities as opposed to what some agencies do, sadly, in going in and sending the same canned email to 150 shows that even are remotely related to health and wellness and then sending them the same pitch over and over and over again. Same so pitch. instead, yeah, yeah we, we develop really strong relationships with um, the content developers at all these networks and, and use that to establish some um, mutually beneficial opportunities. I've always thought that was what was missing because I've worked with, worked with, I guess, I have interacted with a lot of podcast bookers of mm-hmm. different shapes and sizes across my shows and the shows we produce. And certainly less than the number of fingers on one of my hands are per, like professional, great, s- supplying great guests. The other ones are supplying those uninteresting, uh, no point of view, boring to downright sketchy guests that yep. should probably shouldn't be on a podcast, just like they probably shouldn't be singing. Right. So uh, I'm so glad to hear you talk about creating relationships with those networks to, to really offer pitches that make sense for everyone where it's actually a win-win. It's not just, you're trying to get someone on the show. You know, I mean, let me just get something here. You're like, Hey, this, this could really help your programming. Uh, it seems like such a win to really form tighter relationships like that. It's the only way I know how to do it. Um, I just yeah. feel like if, if we're going to spend a lot of time and energy trying to get our, our clients placed, like it, it's so important to make sure that they're placed in reputable, appreciative types of places where that content's wanted and needed. And uh, yeah. it's just been a, a total mindset shift for us as an organization, and it's proved uh, quite fruitful since we made the switch. You mentioned networks, and you mentioned a, a kind of tier system, yeah, tier three and four. Can you just quickly give me the sense for what the network, network tiers are? Yeah, uh, we might define it differently than... They, the networks themselves define it, of course. Now, most of the <laughs> of public course. public rankings you're going to see about this, whether it's through Triton or through um, PodTrack or uh, even Signal Hill, they're all going to view it from a how much revenue are they bringing in perspective because that's the easiest way to rank them. And I think that's definitely okay. Uh, but, like, yeah, we know NPR is doing a ton of money in, in sales. We know SiriusXM is doing a ton of money in sales. But when it comes to the type of content and uh, the type of shows that they're actually bringing forth to the market, we view it as uh, kind of an alignment with our, our clients' needs, to be totally honest. So we work with a lot of consumer brands, and we're working with their thought leaders to get them placed on shows. And some of them might have a, a keen interest in working with uh, moms and matriarchs and heads of households because... They have childcare products or healthcare products or those or those types of initiatives going on. So we actually stack rank our networks based on the types of content they actually produce. To give you like, here's one through ten and how we do it. We actually do it by by vertical or by industry, and that's just again with the intent to to build a, a much more representative data set for us. So, of course, you're going to have folks like. Uh, HubSpot Podcast Network. You're going to have LinkedIn Podcast Network, who are both great partners yep. of ours. 
And, and then what would you, know, you call the, like what tier would you call that? Yeah, I mean, from a business perspective, they got to be right up there. Both of them got to be right up there with tier one, tier two, I would say. And HubSpot's probably further along in their journey in, in the podcast ecosystem, um, obviously through their acquisition of The Hustle and My First Million. Like they've yeah. got a pretty substantial lead, I would say. Uh, but then LinkedIn Podcast Network and shout out to Mike Nussbaum and, and his team. Like they're building something truly special and they're building it on top of a platform that already has all of the data that podcast networks are dying for, such as what company do they work at? What level of leadership uh, positions do they hold? Is this, is this a podcast that's being mostly consumed by entry-level, fresh out of college folks, or is it being consumed by VPs of IT at you know uh, venture-backed firms? Like LinkedIn yeah. has all that data because they have all of the users. So I think... Uh, Mike and his team at LinkedIn Podcast Network are a sleeping giant and they're waking up right now. And we've seen this with the rollout of the initial LinkedIn Podcast Network, but definitely the accelerator program that they started up in conjunction with it, where they've taken, wow. I think it's up to 20 um, B2B podcasts and they're effectively treating it like a portfolio of bets, almost like a, a VC would. And they're investing into these shows with all the tools and resources that LinkedIn has. So I know in talking with them, like the podcasts that are working really well through their network are taking advantage of things like the LinkedIn newsletters, the LinkedIn audio um, thing, the LinkedIn live features, and it's all condensed in this place where they already know so much about the audience. So I think that's a huge one to look at, and I wouldn't be surprised in the next couple of years if, uh, if LinkedIn starts to be much more associated with podcasts and certainly content writ large. Wow. That's fantastic. You know, I, I have enjoyed some of my friends have done a lot of lives lately and I've, I've enjoyed the interactions though. The secret being that not all of those are actually live. That was disappointing to, yeah. to learn, but that's the game. But yeah, I hear you, man. LinkedIn is such a center centerpiece for business. Like, oof, yeah, that could totally. So, is four is is tier four better or is tier one better as tier, you think of networks tier one yeah tr tier one would be like top tier tier four top would tier. be okay, so it's not yeah option. yeah yeah that's how i would look at it but that does not mean necessarily that if you're looking to place uh, a thought leader on on a show that you would prioritize tier one ops over tier four ops again when you run it through the content contacts and audience you know, audience and reach filter that i already hundred percent, right? You know, like the doctor getting on the doctor show for sure is yeah. for the lowest tier. And what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's, that's probably the lowest tier and it's going to be not representative of all of the hundreds of thousands of independent podcasts that exist. Again, uh, what is a podcast network? It's effectively a collection of shows that are working together. Sometimes they have shared resources. Sometimes they have shared, um, revenue models in some cases. And like, why would a show want to join a network? Well, because you can better collectively bargain certain things. So in working with, you know, some of our networks, especially on the pro side, they want everyone to have access to all the data. And they're in a better position to do that than if each of the shows were to purchase a Podchaser Pro subscription individually, right? So you have some of that collective um, buying power uh, element going on there as well. Much like if you're a professional, if you're a sports franchise, yeah, you could start up a new football team today and you could probably attract some talent, especially if you wave some money in their face, but you're not really 
a football team unless you're associated with the franchise, which is part of the larger network, which of course would be the NFL. Same sort of thing you see with Live Golf right now. Like you've got the PGA Tour and then you've got this shiny new object of of Live. Well, how's Live doing it? They're throwing a ton of money at people. They're guaranteeing exposure to far greater international audiences. And if you're a golfer and you want maximum exposure because you think that's going to drive more, you know, LTV from your marketing initiatives, maybe that is the right place for you. Maybe you grew up in a place where golf's growing, but it doesn't have uh, the, the huge presence as it does here, which I think is some of the decisions that those made. So again, to bring this full circle with podcasts, a lot of independent podcasts do just great by themselves. But if they need additional support, such as a sales team that's going to go out and sell their ad inventory on their behalf, it takes a significant amount of burden off of the individual podcaster or the producer if they have one or the marketing person if they have one, because you're going to be able to tap into the resources that are available at a network level. So a lot of these networks do form around different topics and different subject matters and different categories. Starting to see this a lot more. There's like a, a, a legal news network. Um, I think I'm, I might be butchering their name, but um, it's all shows that are about legal work. And it's, they're typically hosted by lawyers and attorneys and, and judges and that sort of thing. And instead of them joining on with an iHeart that does like literally everything from radio to podcasts and all kinds of content topics, it's a dedicated place with dedicated uh, resources that they're going to be able to tap into professionally and personally. So um, I would put, you know, like a legal network in a tier four. Doesn't mean that they're better or worse or anything. It's just, it's smaller. Right. It's more concentrated. Is there a dollar amount that you need to have for that? Or is that the starting point? If you have a network or tier four, do you need a certain number of shows to consider yourself a network? Uh, I don't think so. Um, you know, I think okay. if you have one or two, I think that that's probably two or three. It could probably be considered a network. I was actually just listening to uh, Brendan Schaub, who you know is a podcaster who's on Fighter with the Kid. Yeah. He had a huge deal with Showtime. He he walked away from Showtime to to create Thick Boy Network, and he's got seven shows under that. And he was literally talking about how he wanted more con a creative control or capacity over the content he was producing. He had already built up a substantial following. He had a ton of audience that he was going to take with him, and he did that. What he failed to potentially recognize when he made the move was, well, I don't have Showtime's VP of marketing that's leading all of my publicity right now. It's me. So yeah. he has to work even harder on social, on search, on community to build out these uh, bread breadcrumb trails to get audience back to, to his seven shows. He just doesn't have that layer of support anymore. Will wow. would it be the ultimate decision if he made the right call or not? Time will tell. He's only been at it for a year, but there is something to be said about some of that network effect. Brilliant. Dude, I could talk to you all day. We're going to have to chat again on the marketing yeah. podcast. Uh, such an awesome combination of podcasting, marketing, sales, and getting away from the tech and understanding the audience, understanding the goal of the show and what you're trying to do. Uh, brilliant stuff, man. Where can people reach out? Throw some like, URLs, some yeah. social platforms, all that. Yeah, LinkedIn would be a good place. Just Trent Anderson. I think, uh, again, my team makes fun of me. I think my vanity URL on LinkedIn is growth trend. So linkedin.com slash in slash growth trend. Nice. And, and, and they're, <laughs> they're going to laugh when I say that. I'm also doing a, a little challenge now with uh, GPT-4 on, on Twitter. I don't know if you've seen some of these threads. They're starting to go viral about 
hey, uh, you are now TikTok GPT. Uh, this is my name. This is what I talk about. Give me a million followers. Dude, on I did TikTok. see that. I think I'm yeah. following you. I must be following you on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing this so contest. I'm, like, I'm doing yeah, this on Twitter right now. Yeah. With the intent to get to 25,000 followers on Twitter uh, in the next 30 days or so. And I'm going to be, you know, tweeting out updates of it all. So I got to plug that because it's kind of a fun, goofy project. But um, man, if we're not like trying to learn how these chat agents are are going to impact our jobs and like this is really what it is for me it's it's a grand experiment on yeah. how far can we push um not man versus machine but man plus machine and oh, uh man. yeah so to go check that out on twitter and on twitter it's uh trent anderson and the o and anderson is a zero so Fun, yeah. fun place. Mr. Anderson. Yeah, man. That, this is great. I, I did see that. I saw you're like, I'm getting better at, at recording these things. I, you still haven't done a dance though, right? No, I, I'm not going to be doing any dancing. Um, I, I made, what? No, oh, come on. No uh, dancing? No, no, no. It's no, TikTok, no. dude. No, I'm I'm sticking to Twitter with that. Like, I'm uh, Greg Eisenberg <laughs> is the guy who's doing it with TikTok, but uh, I haven't seen Greg dance yet, but um, I'll stick to text-based stuff with Twitter. Good call. Good call. Yeah. Uh, less embarrassing that way, though. You might you might look to bring some dancing onto Twitter. It could use a little like, livening up. Needs like needs something. Yeah, it's, it's turning into something. I don't know what it is quite yet, but uh, we'll see. Maybe it's our AI overlords just uh, forming themselves. Initial consciousness. There you go. Uh, and with that, dude, thank you so much for coming on here. I've I've really appreciated it. Yeah, I, I appreciate you, Casey. It's uh, it's been a fun chat, and uh, looking forward to keeping it going. Hell yeah, man. And for those listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did, because I literally have two pages of notes over here, front and back. I literally ran out of room. I write in margins, drawing circles, and um, man, then share this with someone else. One person even. One person, two people, 9,000, whatever it is. But put your spin on it. What What was your takeaway? Was it that takeaway about having a takeaway? Or was there something else? Um, and either way, maybe it was the four, the context, the audience, the different recipes. Then you get to reach. So uh, whatever it is, throw that on LinkedIn, tag us. We'll hop in there in the comments. We'll start a little discussion, uh, but have some fun with it. That's thought leadership. And again, dude, you are the man. Thank you again for coming on here. Thanks, Casey. Cheers. All right, buddy. We will see you later. And thank you all for listening. Thank you all for coming. That was an awesome, crazy episode of Creating the Greatest Show. We will see you all next time. And next time doesn't have to be next week. Life's too short and we have way too much to talk about. Find show notes full of takeaways, lessons, and links at creatingthegreatestshow.com. For more information on launching your own podcast or working with us to produce your existing show, come on down to the big tent at ringmaster.com. Until then, friends, whatever you do, do it with all your might. Work at it, if necessary, early and late, in season and out of season, not leaving a stone unturned and never deferring for a single hour. That which can be done just as well now. P.T. Barnum.